Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. In the next episode of BCC Global Network Insights, we sit down with the British Malaysian Chamber of Commerce and their Executive Director, Jennifer Lopez. Also joining us is Alan Stevens, Master at Marlborough College, Malaysia, who are members of both the Chambers here in Singapore and in Malaysia. Together, they share their views on the trade landscape in Malaysia, safe distancing measures for businesses and schools post-COVID-19, and the advice for British businesses looking to explore the market. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Jennifer Lopez, the Executive Director of the British Malaysian Chamber of Commerce, and Alan Stevens, a Master at Marlborough College in Malaysia. It's brilliant to have you both on the call with us. Marlborough College are members of the Chamber in Malaysia and in Singapore, so it's really good to to have you both with us. Jen, just to start with you, I guess, how are you? How is the Chamber and how is everything in Malaysia? Thank you, David. You know, hello to everyone listening in. I think this is an excellent uh, initiative by the British Chamber in Singapore. So well done. I am good, doing very well. Uh, We are coping very well in Malaysia in terms of the pandemic. In terms of the Chamber, I would just say the Chamber has been very active. In fact, you know, twice or three times active than it was before, especially in responding to the members' need ever since uh, we had our restriction order. So um, we are doing very well and we are now back to, you know, hopefully business as usual soon. Excellent. And you've, you've been with the Chamber uh, for two years, I think, and you were a member beforehand. So a bit like me, I was a member of the Chamber before, uh, before yes. we got our, our hands on the tiller, so to speak. So how has that transition from going from member to uh, executive been for you? How was, how was that journey? Okay, um, David, uh, you are absolutely right. Exactly, end of this month, it will be 24 months, two years, my anniversary, how time flies. In terms of the transition, for me, it has been very much seamless, I would say. Prior to joining the chamber, I you know, started my career with one of the big four. And in terms of the work that I did in the big four and also subsequent to that, I joined uh, a professional accountancy body as the head of policy and technical and subsequently also to head the operations of the organization for five years. And it's a global organization, a British and UK, and we were members of the chamber. And during my time, in fact, I was the principal rep as a member of the chamber So my experience allowed me to enhance in areas of relationship management, creating value for membership, and also in terms of, uh, you will say, you know, understanding stakeholder engagement. Also prior to, just prior to joining the chamber, I was also with another leading big four. And there I was heading the business development and uh, marketing comms, the brand side. And that also allows me to share with the members in the chamber how important it is to branding for branding and positioning for organizations. And that's what I've been advocating. So to be honest, it has been quite an easy transition into the role because the key to be heading a chamber is very much in understanding the members' needs and creating the value proposition. 
Oh, that's really, really good to hear, Jen. Can you talk a little bit about some of the services that the Chamber offers British businesses that are perhaps looking to explore the Malaysian market? Basically, what, what I've done is uh, I look at the value propositions or the service that we offer to our members or the UK businesses itself, you know, the UK businesses who are not yet based in Malaysia but looking to expand four key areas or four pillars of value, we call it. Number one, of course, being a chamber, our network is the most valuable proposition. You know, the people who come for our events are normally at the sea level. And just like Alan, who's the, you know, the CEO come the master of the Margot College. And um, we do from big events where people have an opportunity to have that B2B engagement, the network. And also we also do uh, in terms of connecting our members. In which I have no worries or no qualms to connect one SME member to a large member. And our members are so positive and so engaged. They are willing to say, okay, Jennifer, I'll be happy to connect with that SME member or the UK uh, business. Number two, as I mentioned, branding and profiling is key for UK businesses. There are so many UK businesses are doing very well in Malaysia. And, you know, the Chamber provides the platform, be it through our digital platforms, you know, to our social media platforms, our e-newsletter that goes out. But also, we are open to partner our members. During this COVID-19 pandemic, when we moved on from a physical event to digital platforms, we started all our webinars tapping on the expertise of members. It also was an opportunity for our members to showcase themselves. And for UK companies, when I speak to them, I say, hey, you're already in Malaysia why don't you tap on our, our network to showcase what you do in Malaysia? So branding and profiling is what we is another value that create. Of course, bilateral trade services, both for UK businesses. We do similar to the BritCham in Singapore. We support UK businesses in Malaysia, B2B matching. We do our trade missions. I think very importantly, we support the companies to understand what is the market like in Malaysia. What are the key opportunities? And um, also we do product launches, etc. The fourth value proposition is where I think has been taken off very actively during this uh, COVID-19 season, I would say. It's the advocacy. You know, when we started the movement control order in uh, Malaysia, so what has happened is that members were really looking at, you know, someone or a platform that they could use to advocate, to highlight the issues. So the chamber came in to either to do one-to-one engagement with the regulators, you know, supporting the members in their applications or, you know, creating platforms to discuss. And we firstly, we had constant engagements with uh, the relevant uh, agencies to highlight the issues faced by members. And, you know, the positive thing, about the Malaysian government and the agencies responsible for investors is they listen and they try to do as much as possible to get a win-win situation. And just to um, end on this area, one key area that we have been been active in is the sector committees. So uh, Alan, for example, from the Marble College is part of the education committee. And within the short period of time, I think Alan will advocate and say, share later that we were able to get together very often. In fact, 
during this uh, pandemic, everyone came together, the sector, sector members came together, we connected with the Ministry of Education to raise our issues and we got that breakthrough. Even though there are much to be done, you know, we are working together as uh, with the members in similar sectors for the benefit of the members, not just education, it's also like energy and also infrastructure and construction to name, to name a few. So that is the four areas that I will say, key areas that I'll summarize the value that we bring to our members. Thank you. That's an excellent summary. And again, for our listeners in the UK, that network, that support network there, you know, wonderful for British businesses that are looking at Southeast Asia as a market. It would be great to bring Alan into the conversation. The Master of Marlborough College in Malaysia, again, members of both chambers. Alan, thank you so, so much indeed for joining us today. It would be great for you to give our listeners a little bit of information around Marlborough College itself and what first brought you to this part of the world. Thanks, David. And it's, it's a pleasure to join you today. Marlborough College is probably one of the better known names in boarding schools in the UK and hopefully now in Asia as well. It's 177 years old, the original college, and it has, uh, it's probably best known uh, among many people for being the, the school that the Duchess of Cambridge went to, Kate Middleton, but actually there's a fairly eminent gallery of alumni. As its sister school here in, on the tip of Malaysia, Marlborough Malaysia was founded back in 2012. And that was part of what was rather grandly called a catalytic project to provide a world-class infrastructure for what was the developing new city of Iskandar Putri, just across the straits from Singapore. So Marlborough Malaysia here is quite unique in that it's wholly owned as a non-profit entity by Marlborough College. Uh, so it doesn't follow the normal for-profit investment franchise structure of some schools. And that makes a big difference to our strategy, to the way we operate, and, and I think to the feel of the college as well. So why Malaysia? Probably two reasons, really. One is historic. Marlborough College has, for generations, had ties with Malaysia, and especially with southern Malaysia and Singapore. And those continue today. Our governing body, we call it the council, it mainly comprises Malaysian and Singaporeans or Singapore-based alumni. And the other reason we're here is really for practical reasons. We are really fortunate to have one of the largest school sites in the region and land was available here. So we've got about 100 acres with fantastic playing fields, woodland, a lake. We even have a small farm which is run by the children. And the buildings are very low rise because, of their, because there is space and they're separate quite deliberately and they're shaped as really like a small village. And that's fantastic, particularly for a boarding community. And then we've got six very British-style purpose-built boarding houses dotted amongst these buildings. So the scale of the site, really, it's a metaphor as well as a resource for the curriculum. And that's broad, and it's as much about developing character and spirit as it is about developing uh, the intellect. Um, amazing to get that oversight. Do you have many students from Singapore that study with you? Uh, we do. We've got about 150 children from Singapore at the moment, of whom more than half are Singaporean nationals. In normal times, which we are not at the moment, uh, we run several buses from Singapore to Iskander every day. And that journey time takes about the same as it takes most school bus journeys in London. It's less than an hour uh, from door to door. But boarding is our speciality, and obviously many children will board, particularly from Singapore, either for a week or part of a week. 
And we're proud of that sense of community that boarding builds up. The Singapore Tatler uh, made reference to it earlier in the year and said it was Asia's authentic British boarding experience. And that's really what we aim for. Um, but uh, the movement control order in Malaysia and the circuit breaker in Singapore, both very successful in reducing the level of infection, but they have had an impact on us with, without question. Marlborough is a very British school. It has British staff, British values, but we also really, we're really proud of the fact that we've got 45 different nationalities. And of course, we're only 10 minutes from the link to us. So international travel is essential to what we do. So the closure of the borders coincided with the closure of the college. So while schools were, school sites were closed and working online, it was a moot point. But at the moment, we're really looking forward to the reopening of international travel again. And particularly now that the Malaysian government has circulated SOPs for reopening schools, and we're looking forward to the reopening of the second link and the causeway bridges to Singapore and their corridors with other countries. I imagine it's just as important to people in other sectors as it is to us who do international or bilateral business between Singapore and Malaysia. And it's great to hear this week that government ministers on both sides have been discussing that phased reopening of the bridges. You've touched on sort of quite a significant business impact to, to Marlborough College. Are there, are there things that you're still having to put in place, like the social distancing, obviously having you know, lots of children in, in an area, given the amount of land that you've got as well? There must be challenges and things that you've started to implement to uh, and, and ensure the safety of the children coming back. Uh, yes, they are, there are. We're, we've just been told that we can resume operations on site from the 24th of June uh, with a phased reintroduction of children and the Malaysian government has provided SOPs and social distancing and uh, hygiene obviously are very prominent amongst those. And we'll aim to be compliant with those and in many areas we'll, we'll go beyond them. But it's good to see that society is adapting to the circumstances and that as societies open up, the infection is remaining under control and is, is actually reducing um, as people adapt their habits. So hopefully, if that continues, we're confident that schools here and in the region will reopen fully within within the next few weeks or by next term. Have you used digital means to keep children engaged and, and still maintain the education? And are there elements of that sort of digitised education that you're looking at in terms of uh, what the future of schooling and education might look like? <laughs> yeah, we have. Um, I think like many schools, we moved, we've had to move everything online since the middle of March. We're fortunate. We had a digital learning strategy um, and we began work on this a number of years ago. So although we've learned a massive amount since we had to work completely online, we thought we were pretty well prepared beforehand. And we were quite pleased with the fact that we were able to move online within 24 hours of notice from the government. But we've We've done the decent thing and we, we've reviewed what we were doing. We didn't just take our own word for it. We reviewed it with, um, with the staff who are delivering it, with the parents who were looking at it from the side off screen at home and the, the children themselves who, who are uh, such a key part of this. So we've revised it over time as well. And we've got a strong academic core using synchronous and asynchronous online teaching. 
But there's a lot of less intuitive elements that we introduce to the experience as well. So in addition to the academic core, um, we're still doing online music and individual music instrumental lessons. We're still doing PE, early morning fitness sessions, which we would have done with the boarders on site. We're still operating careers advice, one-to-one tutor meetings, and even parents' meetings. They're taking place online. We've got some fantastic guest lectures. And I know many schools do this as well, but last week we had a couple of swimming Olympic medalists, Jasmine Carlina and James Guy, online with our boys and girls, talking to them, inspiring them, giving them insight and wisdom. And a couple of days ago, we had our annual piano soloist competition, which was streamed online. And one of the benefits of being online this year was that we were able to have as our adjudicator, James Wilshire, who's one of the UK's most eminent pianists. And he's in lockdown over there at the moment. But it was wonderful to connect with him. Uh, And that was really good. So I know some people might say, actually, in lockdown, we should be focusing just on the core academia and the softer side is less important. Our philosophy would be that firstly, the two are not mutually exclusive. And actually, when society is anxious and there's a degree of uncertainty, reinforcing those other skills and giving a sense of purpose and constancy and building up balance, breath, mental and physical health and well-being, that's important and probably more important than it has ever been. Oh, that's, that's wonderful to hear. The learnings that, that you get through school naturally around connecting with people and picking up a new skill and playing a musical instrument and playing sport and, and staying together and camaraderie, etc. So uh, really, really good to hear. Is there a big opportunity for British education providers to look at Malaysia, do you think, as, a, as, as an opportunity, Alan? Interesting question. <laughs> it's a very interesting question. Uh, and, and I think uh, the, the market is likely to change in the future. I was listening to some uh, international market research recently on this, and they're actually indicating the big growth uh, at the moment and in the next few years is likely to be in the region, in Vietnam and India. Malaysia has a great number of international schools and uh, national schools representing curriculums uh, from throughout the world. And schools continue to open here every year, as they do in Singapore as well. I think a great deal depends on the curriculum and also the price point, because these are self-sustaining fee-charging schools. So the price point is an interesting thing. There there certainly is room, but um, it is a busy and competitive market. I just want to add on to what uh, Alan mentioned regarding the education sector. While it's a very busy market, for education, UK education in Malaysia. But for us uh, at the Chamber and also at the High Commission, uh, education is continued to be a top priority sector for us and because of the the various opportunities. And uh, this morning, I was just talking, I was just in, prior to this, I was just in a meeting with the High Commissioner and the education, everyone who's involved in the education um, sector in for the UK education in Malaysia. Interestingly, uh, there is uh, still UK schools, uh, Alan, maybe you don't want to include this, but oh, that they are still interested to come on board, come on board to set up in uh, Malaysia, the High Commissioner was sharing. So going back to, um, you know, uh, education in Malaysia, for UK, it's very important because the long uh, the long partnership that that we have between UK and Malaysia, and uh, it's well regarded. Uh, UK education is well regarded because 
the core of uh, Malaysian education has always been from the UK, British education itself. Some statistics to share is we have around 80,000, nearly 80,000 uh, Malaysians who are studying for some form of uh, UK education in Malaysia. And uh, official statistics actually show about, that's not including the professional education itself. So, uh, this is uh, about 50,000 doing higher education degrees. And uh, we view that that's con constant uh, opportunities for UK businesses to expand their services, especially those, you know, in the overall ecosystem of education for areas like uh, transnational partnerships. Many Malaysian um, institutions will, the first point of uh, contact will be for UK institutions to form some form of partnership with UK institutions, especially in new areas that are coming up in terms of IR 4.0, digital innovation areas, anything like that, there's much opportunity. Even more so important today with the current pandemic where businesses are moving towards digital. So there's a lot of opportunity to train people to be equipped in a digital world. So in terms of training opportunities, there's also um, continuous opportunities in terms of training the teachers you know, for various institutions in uh, private education institutions in Malaysia, how to move from face-to-face -face training to dual learning system where there is classes and there's also digital opportunities. So there is continuous opportunities for the education sector in Malaysia for UK businesses and it will be a focus. What other industries in Malaysia would you say are either emerging markets or there are opportunities for British businesses to, to start exploring Malaysia as a country to export to or set up in? The other uh, area would be uh, the energy, oil and gas sector. Again, the national oil, oil company that we have, uh, who's also a regulator and, and a business in, in the business itself. So they are looking at areas of optimizing operations and digitalization again. So anything to do with uh, digital and innovation will continue to be an attraction. And we know the UK has that expertise, expertise in terms of digital. The, the other sector that will be an opportunity will be uh, manufacturing, more so in advanced manufacturing. And support for IR 4.4 will be continue to be a priority because the Malaysian government has a master plan in terms of uh, implementing that master plan for IR 4.0. Healthcare has always been in demand. I think in similar to Singapore, the private sector healthcare is uh, booming, continue to be booming. So healthcare, there will be competition to showcase uh, you know, which, in, which hospitals or which medical centers. So the private institutions are always looking for specialization expertise you know, more so if you're moving into digital, how can this kind of areas for specialist a specialization areas? Um, the other opportunities for healthcare will be, again, in terms of moving towards digital, you know, private healthcare are looking at remote monitoring of patients, record keeping. So overall, I'll say the emerging trend or emerging will be tech, tech as an overall a key important for the market and we see this is an area where UK UK companies or UK businesses can tap on. 
I made the mistake when in my previous role that I, I, I saw Malaysia as just KL. And obviously, Malaysia is a, yes. a very big country. And there's, 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 there's lots of different sectors and clusters of sectors around Malaysia, which, are, which I yes. had to learn very quickly. And I learned from my mistake. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about life outside of KL? It's not just about the Petronas Towers and the, the Central Business <laughs> District, but there's lots of other areas as well. Can you just you know, share some yeah. of your insight there and how the Chamber can help British companies? Absolutely. Um, uh, you are right, David. That's why I, you know, we invited Marlboro to join us because the down south, you know, Johor is an important area, you know, and we have a Johor chapter where the chamber, uh, the chamber really believes uh, working with our members instead of setting up an office. If anyone requires information regarding Johor Baru, so we normally connect to our members. Johor is an important in the southern region. Don't forget, we also have the island of Penang, which is booming in manufacturing. We have a company that's in process, and it was a big investment for Malaysia in the medical sector, advanced manufacturing in medical. Penang is very well known in terms of manufacturing, especially for electronic and electrical. And um, now more so, Penang is transforming into more innovative and high-tech manufacturing. Then we also have uh, Sabah and Sarawak. So very much um, the message would be, you know, if you are looking, expanding into Malaysia, there are various opportunities, various trade zones that provide various incentives. So you need to identify which area will be the best to set up. As um, Alan mentioned just now, they choose Johor because of the land opportunity, because of the proximity to, you know, to Singapore. And nothing to be worried about connectivity. We are fully connected. I think David and uh, Alan can vouch for that. Connectivity is excellent. Infrastructure is excellent. There's lots of developments on the on the south coast of Malaysia, which must be really pleasing for you, Alan, as well, around lots of the new condos going up and the, the opportunities for those that can travel between both Singapore and Malaysia provides lots of opportunities. So do you see that sort of the amount of construction going on on the south coast and, and on the, the Straits of Johor as, as being sort of a benefit for, for businesses and those that are looking at the Malaysian market? Absolutely. And what's really lovely is to see it all beginning again after the movement control order. So life is springing back into that sector. And that's wonderful. So from Forest City on one side, right across the right across the coast and up to Senai Airport, uh, there's a huge amount of development, both residential, but also commercial, everything from bespoke to turnkey factories. It is quite remarkable and really positive for us as well, because what, what's very obvious, I mentioned that we have such a range of nationalities. Many of them are attracted from other countries because of the commercial potential of doing business in Malaysia or manufacturing in Malaysia or working with multinationals here. And that's wonderful. Jen, have you got anything to add to that? Yes, I, I wanted to just to add about the government incentives and pro-business policies. So depending on the sector, the sectors that I mentioned, for example, education, uh, advanced manufacturing, uh, oil and gas, energy. I did. I just wanted to add also in terms of energy, renewable energy. So there are various incentives in place, and the location is also important where you you start up or where you decide to set up your business. So because Malaysia is not just Kuala Lumpur, so it is very important to understand better about the opportunities and having setting the right foot at the right place. Fantastic. 
Malaysia operates a federal government and uh, a local state government. Can you provide our listeners with some advice on how companies can interpret the policies from, from both elements? So basically, as I mentioned, right, it's very important to understand the business environment and how the government works in Malaysia. The federal government, actually, uh, if you're looking, you know, entering into the Malaysian market, of course, the first uh, point of contact will be the federal agencies. We have a number of federal agencies like the Malaysian Industry Development Authority. Then we have uh, the respective state agencies and they work hand in hand. Of course, there is also the first level of approvals and then the second level of approvals. So it's very important to do your homework first, as the master will say. I'm I'm referring to you, Ellen. You know, um, do your homework first before you venture into a project. And we are here to, you know, talk to you and to share with you to understand the dynamics and our relationship. The chamber has been established for many years and the last few years, we have been building strong relationships with the agencies. So we will be able to route you to the right people. So that's that's one of the ways to manage the ecosystem in Malaysia in terms of you know, investing or trading. Alan, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I think Jennifer is absolutely right. That that's federal system. It takes a little bit of understanding, but essentially, the, the, obviously, the federal government is in control. The state governments, uh, very much like in the United States, the state governments may refine aspects of the federal principles uh, to apply within their jurisdictions and really operate as subsets. The benefit for us of this is that we have pretty well. We have excellent relationships with the state departments um, mm. and that gives us a, a, a lines of communication and contact which are faster and more intimate than perhaps they would be if we only were reporting directly to the federal government so there's a real benefit under the federal system in terms of communications but in terms of communicating directly to the center in Putrajaya, the federal government of Malaysia, that's where the BMCC comes in, the Chamber of Commerce. And I know Jennifer mentioned the Education Committee earlier. I think the recent shutdown, the, the MCO, and then the discussions about how to exit that um, showed the BMCC at its absolute finest. And I will embarrass her now. Um, the <laughs> Education Committee has an advocacy and partnership group. And what that did was bring us right into the heart of government to lobby, to question and to offer advice about the way forward, the development of the SOPs and the reopening of the sector and international communication. That's wonderful to have that opportunity. Final question just for our listeners to both, to both of you. For companies that are looking to explore uh, Malaysia as a market and this part of the world, have you got sort of two or three bits of advice or things that you've learned that you could share with our listeners? I think um, one tip I've already mentioned, very important, to get connected to the, if you are new to Malaysia or even in the region, right, to add into the Southeast Asia region, or if you have been to in one um, ASEAN country, ASEAN, it's very different, very different. So my, my advice will be your first point of contact should be the chamber or I must say the Department for International Trade. That will be in each country. That was very important. And uh, again, I, I already mentioned this. It's about you know doing the research because in Malaysia or even similar to other ASEAN countries, it's a bit complicated. We talked about in terms of the you know state government and the federal government. So 
you know, it's good to do the good to do your homework. And, you know, it is only going to benefit you because before you go and establish, it's, it's good to understand how you will benefit uh, from where you set up, what kind of tax policies that you will benefit in. It's basically for the overall good of your business. So it's good to touch base with the chambers where we will be able to provide you on-ground insights. We also, have, we also very frequently refer to our specialists or people who have already established, you know, and our members are very open to just have a chat with a potential investor or a, you know, a UK business that's coming in to provide some advice. People like Alan, you know, always willing to share yeah, in terms of, you know, their own experiences. So it is reach out to the chambers in the markets. Fantastic. And, and Alan, any, any advice for British businesses looking to explore Malaysia? I love the advice that Jennifer has given. Do your homework. And as the master, I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, independently, I had written down two points at the top, which was Chamber of Commerce and High Commission. So we're absolutely on the same page. Uh, I think that's essential. Reconnaissance is never wasted. And uh, there are a great many opportunities in Malaysia. The, the administration encourages investment. It's keen to do business. We've got a well-connected digital infrastructure, a population that's well-educated and skilled and a really low cost of living. So I think more than anything else, my experience here has also shown that it's a country with the, the kindest and the most welcoming people that you'll ever find anywhere. It's a wonderful place to do business and to live. Fantastic. And that, that leaves me to say a huge thank you to both of you, Alan. Thank you so much. And we hope school opens soon for you and that everything goes well. And Jennifer, thanks so much for your time as well. I look forward to seeing you both when the bridge is open. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britcham.org.sg or should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at info at